Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? All right. So we're back for another episode. I think we usually have like bullshit chitter chatter, but I don't really know if we have anything to bullshit chitter chatter about. No, but we can get past the bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Just so everyone knows, we got, we've got we got an exciting guest kind of coming up that I'm pretty excited about, a an ex-Mormon. So that should be something for people to look forward to. He's also another international guest. So we're really <laughs> broadening the reach across the uh, universe. The universe. The universe, yeah. We have yet to have an alien on the show, but maybe someday. We don't know that. Well, that's true. If any of our guests was an alien, which one do you think it would be? Hmm, That's a great question. I know who I would pick. <laughs> I'm trying to think. It depends on if you view alien as like a superior intelligence, like Lars, <laughs> yeah. because that's what I would say. He could be an android of some kind. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, so he could easily be an uh, an alien and he probably would be proud of that. He kind of has like a robotic kind of monotonous type of talking. Yeah. It's very measured. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very it's... precise. So I kind of imagine that's how an alien would be. Maybe yeah. Lars is an alien. We'll have to ask him. Maybe we can put up a poll. But like, is Lars an alien? <laughs> or maybe, an we'll, alien. maybe just an opinion poll of all of our guests. Who's most likely to be an alien? <laughs> <laughs> like a really fun topic. Like, I love this so much. So yeah, um, other than trying to find aliens to get to the podcast, today we're going to talk about prayer. And milk jugs. Prayer and milk jugs, yeah. And a lot of this came from a blog post that you wrote. And I think it's actually one of the first blog posts of yours that I read. And it was called Does Prayer Work? And we'll link to it in the notes. And so we're going to delve into some of the things from that blog post and then kind of expand on that a little bit. And I also want to say about the milk jug that I did not come up with this. It's a great comparator in a way of thinking about prayer, but I didn't invent it. I don't know who did, but it, it kind of goes around the internet. So this week, our flawed theology and real life topic comes from yet another illustrious Facebook post. The best thing about social media, I feel like when you do a podcast of any kind, is it's like just full of fodder that you can you use. You find so much stuff. Is this your friends who post this stuff? <laughs> yes. This this person is a, is a friend of mine that I was on a worship yeah, team see, with. Yeah, see, that's the difference. I don't have many church friends. Yeah, I have a lot of Christian friends still on my Facebook and, and not a lot of them pop up in my feed, but every once in a while. You know, they do. And every once in a while, they post something like this. So this one is a friend of mine. She was on a worship team that I was on back in the day, and she's married now and has a couple of kids, two, three kids. And so she posts this picture saying her kids were watching a video from when they were little. Two of the kids were watching a video when they were little, and they have a third child who was not alive at the time of this video being taken. So that's the context. So youngest kid says, where am I? Mom says, oh, you weren't bored yet. And the youngest kid says, but where was I? And then one of the kids says, oh, you were in heaven. And then the little youngest kid goes, I was dead with a big question mark and exclamation. <laughs> and then the mom says, no, you just weren't born. You were still in mommy's heart. And then here's the kicker. The little child, which I don't know how old this child is. She goes, I can't be in your heart. I'm not God. And then, you know, the emojis that go along with this, of course, are like big buckets of tears, you know, when the little girl says, I can't be in your heart. I'm not God. Like, why is this flawed theology? You seem to be fixated on the last line, the part, well, I can't be in your heart. I'm not God. But what got me was the part that you were in heaven before you were born. 
Yes, that too. The implication here is that every single person to ever exist starts out in heaven before being incarnated on earth. Right. This brings up so many questions. I have so many questions from this. Did God create all people to ever exist? Like (laughs) all people, even billions of years in the future. Right. All of them exist now in heaven. Did he make them all at the same time that he made Adam? He conceived of them all and made them all and they're just waiting in heaven. And if right. so, are they are they fully adult humans or are they zygotes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, by that like extrapolation, that means like all people have eternally existed. Yes. The earth is a blip. Yeah, they're not any different than God that way, because now you've always been and then you just came down to earth when God's stuck you in some fallopian tubes and and what is even the point if we were in heaven to begin with why couldn't he just leave us there right heaven is supposedly perfect right nobody's sinning nobody is unhappy and he's like no i'm gonna stick you into this cesspool of (laughs) anguish and suffering for just a little bit of time see how you react to it and if you do exactly what i want you to you can come back but if not if not you're going to the other place right you're gonna go to the hot place yeah, and that's funny because I hadn't even thought about that aspect of it. When I think about you were in heaven or whatever, I just think about the lack of education. Now, I don't know how old this child is. It could be like a three-year-old kid or it could be a yeah. six-year-old kid. You know, but when you just say, like I've had this conversation with my kids at the and the youngest is four, and she's looked at pictures that she's not in. And either like my wife wasn't pregnant. She's like, oh, where was I? And I'm like, well, you weren't born yet. And that's where it ended. She's Mm -hmm. like, she's not, she didn't ask if she said, where was I? I'd be like, you weren't here yet. Like, that's it. But then you add on the complication of you were in heaven or you were still in mommy's heart. Yeah. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. It makes it more confusing. And then, yeah, to add on the part about I can't be in your heart. I'm not God. That shows that they've been indoctrinating this kid about salvation saying you have to ask Jesus to be in in your heart. What's a better way that you could talk about this as a parent? It's like our job to like make things that don't make sense, try to make sense, bring it down to a level of understanding that a child can understand. Don't feed them a a line of of bullshit like that you were in heaven. Like, like it doesn't even make any sense. Like, yeah. And why wouldn't we be able to remember being in heaven? I mean, there's no reason why we wouldn't be able to remember that if it happened. Yeah, it's so weird. I don't even know how you would explain how you were in heaven before, but now you're yeah, here. Yeah, I, like, I don't know. So what's a better way that you could explain or answer this kid's question? So a few years ago, I was reading a Dogman book. Do you guys have those? Yes, my 10-year-old loves Dogman books. Yeah. One of the characters was kind of afraid to die, and he was like, what would it be like to not exist? I'm kind of scared of that. And another character said, well... You didn't exist for billions of years before you were born, and you didn't seem to mind then. I, I just thought, oh, that's a really good way of explaining it. Yeah. Like, just don't worry about it. Right. It's going to be fine. Let's jump into our topic. Um, as I said earlier, we're going to talk about prayer. And I don't know, to me, prayer is one of those things that like was such a big part of being a Christian, like you just heard a lot about prayer. I don't know how it was in Lutheranism, if prayer was a big thing. It was, yeah. It's a pretty staple doc, uh, doctrine as far as Christianity goes. And did you say I did staple a, or stable? Staple. Staple. Okay. Like, yeah, like it holds the paper together. <laughs> yeah. 
So I looked up a couple of things. So the word pray actually appears 547 times in the Bible, which actually oh, I thought was low. I thought it was actually going to be more than that. Oh, really? And it, actually, some of those are not in reference to like praying to God. They're like for other things. So uh, but there's over 650 actual prayers recorded in the Bible and Jesus prays 25 times in the gospel. So that's kind of weird. Like he's praying to himself. <laughs> right. Right. It's like a lot of positive self-talk. Yeah. Self-motivational talk. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about like what prayer really is, why Christians do it. Does it work? First things first, what is prayer? Yeah. Well, let's go to our favorite book, the Oxford Dictionary. <laughs> yeah. The first definition is an address such as a petition to a God in word or thought. And the second one is an earnest request or wish. Yeah, speaking to God or, I mean, I think everybody knows what the word pray means. And like, it's one of those words in common usage now, like it's used like by non-religious people too. Like, yeah, and it's so common. Everybody says, oh, I pray that this happens or, or I'll pray for you or whatever. And it's, it's, a very, it's a very flippant term. Yeah. And I've, I've used this term flippantly, like you said, like I would say, oh, I'm just praying it doesn't rain tomorrow, but I would <laughs> never literally pray that. And right. my intention wasn't to get people to assume that I was praying either. It, right. know, it's just, it's a figure of speech. It's just a word. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's a way that it's it's used commonly, even amongst non-religious people. And then there's like, obviously a deeper spiritual meaning for the Christian types. So how often did you pray when you were a Christian? Oh Lord. I don't know. Um, I feel like it was one of those things that like, you always felt guilty that you weren't doing it enough. Yeah, I was always trying to like maintain the discipline of doing like morning quiet time and devotions and reading the Bible and praying and stuff like that. So what I actually did in practice, it probably was like intermittent. Okay. What about you? Oh, like almost never. <laughs> never. Were you a yeah. family that always prayed before meals? Uh, growing up? Yes. Yeah. But not at restaurants until my sister got really serious about religion and she guilt tripped my dad. Oh. Like we need to pray at restaurants. And so then we prayed at restaurants. I mean, how do you say no to that? Oh, really? Yeah. That's funny. Cause that's how we used to do something similar. Like we would always pray at home or even if we're at like some family members thing, like a big family gathering, my dad would still somehow weasel praying before everybody ate. And then, you know, once he became a pastor, then it became like a more thing where like somebody would say, okay, let's have the pastor bless the food or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah, we'd, we'd be at restaurants. We wouldn't do it out loud to be like, okay, everyone yeah, just like pray to yourself. Because you don't want to attract attention. You don't want to attract yeah. attention, which is so ironic if you're supposed to be, like if this is something right. that everybody needs and it's going to save their soul, you shouldn't be ashamed of it, right? You know, of course they wouldn't say, oh, well, we're not ashamed of it. We just don't want to draw attention to ourselves. Like, Doesn't one part of the Bible say pray in private? Yeah, yeah. That's in some parable where the tax collector or the Pharisee was, praying out loud and making a big thing of himself. So is there any specific way that you have to pray? Like when you were taught, did they say, okay, when you pray, you have to do it a certain way. Lutheranism is a little bit more liturgical where you had, yeah, they had written prayers, right. And stuff like that. Yeah. I grew up Baptist, so we didn't really have like liturgy per se. So like we would view a Lutheran or a Catholic or something. We would say that that prayer wasn't really prayer. That was just like something you said. Because it was printed in the bulletin and you're just repeating it. Right. It's not coming from your heart. Right. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah. like a pre a pre-thought out prayer. Yeah. So like a real prayer would be something that came from you. There was not much talking about that. I mean, really it was just like bow your head and <laughs> 
we had some time during the service where you could, it was like quiet time. Like after communion, you could say your own prayer in your head. Right. That was the most uncomfortable time in church for me because it was so guilt inducing. I had nothing to say and I was just standing there and pretending to pray and right. thinking these people around me are actually talking to God. Like they actually think he's there and I'm just looking around like, what am I missing? Like who are you guys talking to? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who are you talking to? Yeah. And it brings up that thing like, like, what's the mechanism of prayer? Do you have to bow your head, close your eyes and get on your knees? Or can you just think your prayers? Like, Yeah. Do you need to say the words out loud? Yeah. Like if you're driving in the car and you're praying for something, obviously I don't want you closing your eyes and getting on your knees while you're driving because that's going to kill somebody. You know, so people say, oh, no, no, you can just pray out loud and say what's on your heart to God because he can always hear you. So this is exactly part of the reason why I doubted Christianity as a kid, because this is one thing that I always realized from very early on is that, so let's say you are thinking about what you want to have for dinner tonight and you decide you want tacos and this is all going on in your head and you might decide and make that entire decision and have that entire thought without using a single word or hearing a single word in your head. At least I can right. do that. I don't know if all people can do that, but it's like, yeah, yeah. I just think of dinner and then I imagine a taco and I'm like, okay, I want tacos <laughs> for dinner. That sounds good. Tacos yeah. sound good. <laughs> but, and if there is a God and God can read my mind, then God understands what just happened in my head. Right. So if God can understand what's happening in my head without me having to verbalize words, either out loud or in my head, why do I need to verbalize them at all? Yeah. It does raise the question, like, what's the point of praying yeah. if God already knows? So we'll talk about that in a little bit. And there's a couple of different reasons, like why people pray. I mean, the first most obvious one that people would say is, well, God commands it, which I always find it interesting, especially you know, in the context of the idea of you being in a relationship with God. If you're in a relationship with someone, you shouldn't have to command the other person. Call me. Yeah, Every night. Like, that goes back to that whole abusive relationship that we talked about. Like, hey, you better call me. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, shit's going to go happen. And we're, yeah. I'm not going to think that you love me, you know, like, but I think most Christians would view prayer as a conversation with God. And that's why that's why you do it is because, oh, that's your method of communicating with God and maintaining that relationship. So this quote I got from the crew, which is a college ministry team. They have a whole guidebook about prayer. And I took this quote from it says, if you see prayer merely as a means of taking some level of control in your life in the world as a means of leverage, then you will inevitably be troubled by what seems to be unanswered prayer. But if you see prayer primarily as an ongoing conversation with God, then you'll realize there's really no such thing as an unanswered prayer. And see, this is exactly what you would have to say if you're trying to defend a relationship with a non-existent entity. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, this goes like to kind of with like fostering your connection with God, which like to me just is like, it deepens your delusion. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like you said, if this was a, a non-existent entity, like you had an imaginary friend and you kept conversing with them, that conversation that you repeatedly do is only deepening that belief that that imaginary person is there. Yeah. And this actually has a name. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. It's either Tulpa or Tulpa, depending on if you say it like Tulip or Tulsa. And I found an article that kind of explains how this concept relates to inventing Jesus in your head. So I'm just going to read a little bit from the article. According to tulpa.info, a tulpa is an entity created in the mind 
acting independently of and parallel to your own consciousness. They are able to think and have their own free will, emotions, and memories. In short, a tulpa is like a sentient person living in your head, separate from you. It's currently unproven whether or not tulpas are truly sentient, but in this community, we treat them as such. It takes time for a tulpa to develop a convincing and complex personality. As they grow older, your attention and their life experiences will shape them into a person with their own hopes, dreams, and beliefs. So basically, a tulpa or tulpa is an imagined friend who becomes so real it is literally perceived as a separate consciousness with whom a relationship can be had. And so how do you create a, one of these tulpas? Well, there's a technique called forcing, and that can be active or passive. So forcing is giving the tulpa attention or stimuli so that they can grow. And active forcing is when you are giving your tulpa undivided attention. So this is when you would be praying just to God or Jesus, like on your knees, your head is bowed, and you're only talking to him. Passive forcing is when you are partially giving the tulpa attention while performing other tasks. So this would be like if you're driving to work and you decide to have a conversation with Jesus while you're driving. Each of those builds and feeds that entity that's in your head, and each one of those activities makes it grow. So this article was written by a guy who was raised Christian, and everybody around him seemed to have a relationship with Jesus. And he was like, what's going on? I don't feel anything. He never talks to me. I don't understand this. I'm quoting the article now. He says, this is the same way I was taught to relate to Jesus. Active foreseeing sounds like prayer or worship, focusing intensely on Jesus, his words, his personality, his love, just you and him going deep together. Passive foreseeing sounds like keeping Jesus in mind as you go through your days, giving him little bits of praise, asking his advice in various situations, or sharing your emotions with him, listening for his replies. It might take a few days or a few months, but supposedly, if you keep at it for long enough, your tulpa will start talking back, and you'll have a friend who is available 24-7, knows you intimately, gives advice and new perspectives, and accepts you unconditionally, kind of like Jesus. To me, it's like the sheer volume of like how to pray and why we pray instructional guides is like, it's mind blowing. Like if you look in the Christian section on Amazon of books and just type in prayer, thousands of books come up. Like on this crew website, there was dozens of articles about like how to pray. And I found it interesting in this particular article, which we'll link to, they had a bunch of really good questions that like, if you're a critical thinker that you might ask about prayer. Yeah. And then it gives this like completely ridiculous scripted answer. The answer contradicts itself. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like the first one would be like, if God is in control of human history and also directs our life, what's the point of praying? Which is, I mean, that's a great question. Yeah. This is the answer that contradicts itself. Yeah. First, they say that God already knows what will happen, the big events and even the small moments. Nothing is out of his control. Right. And then they turn around and say he listens to us patiently. He takes our requests seriously. Right. And he considers everything in the context of the bigger picture that only he can see. Okay. So that directly contradicts what they just said earlier. Right. If he knows everything from all eternity, then he didn't see your request coming. Right. Prayer requests should not be separate from from the timeline of an omniscient God, as if our requests are surprising him. Yeah. They should be part of the embedded timeline already. Do you see what I mean? Like, I'm not explaining this 
well. Yeah, yeah. And they, and they, of course, want to use the sovereignty of God as the explanation for this, too, which we talked about um, in a previous episode. You know, it's all because God has this bigger plan, and, you know, for us. So he asks us to ask because he wants us to ask. Like, it just seems like a right. diabolical thing to do. Like, and I think even in the Bible, it uses like a an example of like, of a child asking for bread from their parent. And like, if a child asked for bread, would the parent give them a stone? Oh, obviously not because the parent knows how to give good gifts to their kid. And so then they take that to the next level and say, well, God, it also wants to give gifts, give good gifts to his children. But like a good parent doesn't wait necessarily for their kid to ask for something. Yes. They anticipate the need. Oh, like I can tell that you're hungry do you want a snack or whatever? I, I would never say to mm-hmm. my kid, you have to ask me nicely before I give you, well, depending on the situation, <laughs> you know, if you're being yeah. a douchebag and then you come in and but say, give me a snack. But not for basic necessities. But yeah, we're t- if you're talking about basic necessity, like a good parent and someone who's loving anticipates the need yeah. ahead of time because even me as an, a non-all-knowing being, I know some things that my kids need before the before they know them. And so I will try to meet that need. Or if I see an oncoming stressor that I know is going to cause them anxiety, I try to get in there before the anxiety happens. That's something that a loving person would do. I wouldn't wait for my kid to be stressed out for, to help. Like, okay, here's maybe a good analogy. So let's say I'm an automaker, right? <laughs> I make cars. And I don't make cars good or cars that work or cars that are safe until the people who are buying the cars specifically come to me and ask me, please make my car safe. Please make it run well. Wouldn't that be the same thing as like when people pray that their babies will be formed correctly? Right. I'm as an automaker, I'm going to do my best to make every single car functional and work properly and be safe for people. Yes. What kind of an asshat would I be if I didn't do that unless they specifically asked me? (laughs) This article says like a funny thing, like God knows better than you do and what the eventual outcomes of every situation will be. If you pray for dry weather for an outdoor event that your church has planned, God might know of another reason of why it needs to rain that day. (laughs) Well, I mean, technically that's true. Maybe the fields need water. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, but it's like you're doing a church event that is for God. Why would God want to rain out his own event? Like what could be possibly better? Like this is all linked to that sovereignty thing of like, you know, you hear people about how they missed their plane on 9/11, you know, that was God. If if I would have got on that plane, but if everybody had missed their plane, then I would have been like, whoa, something's up. Right. <laughs> just the hijackers on yeah, the plane and the no one's there. On the plane, God yeah. told us not to get on, but the hijackers are like, sweet, we've got a really light plane. Well, if you think about it, every single flight is going to have some people who don't make it or have last minute flight changes, or for some reason, they just don't get on the plane. Right. To me, the whole reason for prayer is really just to maintain the illusion of a relationship. Exactly. And from like the power and control standpoint of like a church or whatever, they have to continually push the idea of prayer because once someone realizes, oh, no one's talking back, then they're going to be like, well, if there's no one talking back in prayer, well, how much of the rest of this is bullshit? Like, Yeah. And I think I said this in the Providence episode, but I admit this. I have had a very good life so far. Like no tragedies. Right. You know, I have nice things. I've never struggled for anything. I'm very privileged. Right. And I hardly ever prayed. So apparently God's giving me stuff. He's blessing me with all this great 
Right. I have a great life. I never asked him for anything. So what does that mean? Yeah. And then meanwhile, on the flip side of the coin, there's plenty of people who've been asking God for stuff their entire life. Right. And their life is just like a perpetual yes. shitstorm. That's the kind of life that you would expect that somebody like me would have as a consequence of basically ignoring God for my whole life. Right. And that's one thing that always didn't make sense to me. Right. Like, why is my life so good? Why am I not having any trouble? Yeah. Why am I not struggling? Because I never invited God in. I never talked to God. I basically acted and went around, went about my life as if he didn't exist. <laughs> right. Why am I not having more of a problem? Yeah. And I think that like, there's always a way that like somebody would explain this way and say, oh, well, God, God blesses people in spite of, you know, not because of, you know, it's like, okay, well, that sounds all well and good, but why is he not blessing other people in spite of, you know, that might actually, that are his supposed children, you know, that are faithfully dedicating their lives to him and yeah. their life sucks. Like my life as a kid, like was not, Oh yeah, your life was probably better than mine better like, as far life, as like the sure. upbringing, like yeah, we yeah. were broke, like, you know, we're living, like, you know, you paycheck to paycheck, like, things are difficult, like, oh, I yeah. got my ass beat, like, it's a whole, you know, it's a whole thing, like, why would I have had that life when I was God's kid? So let's talk about a little bit about the different types of prayer. I think there's actually more types than this, but I kind of picked out yeah, I guess these are like the top five. <laughs> I thought it'd be fun to let's talk about these types of prayer in the most irreverent way possible. Yes, like, let's do that. Because they have like really technical, cool theological names, but we're going to give you the, the like, street version. We're going to give you the R-rated explanation of what these are. So the first one is probably the most common one of what people think of with prayer. And the theological term for it is supplication. It's just a great word. But if you want to know what supplication is, it just means you're asking God for shit. <laughs> God, give me some stuff. Like daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Mama needs a new Michael Kors bag. People are praying to win the Super Bowl. They're, they got to find the parking space at Target. They're praying for a lot of shit. So that's supplication. What's the next one? Intercessory prayer, which is asking God for shit for someone else. <laughs> Although I always thought praying to Mary was intercessory prayer, but Oh, wait, no, she makes the intercessory prayer. Right. She was the okay. go-between because you couldn't talk. So she makes intercessory prayer to God on our behalf. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. She's like basically an ex extra Jesus, you know, because it also says that Jesus pleads our case, you know, to the father. So he's making intercessory prayer to himself. But God is the... <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. We're not going to go there. Maybe we need to do an episode on the Trinity coming up. That'll be fun. Yeah. The next one is praise or thanksgiving which is pretty obvious what it means, but it's basically just like thanking God for shit. M most likely it's shit that he didn't actually do. That he didn't even Like do. it's just stuff that happened that was good. And you're like, let me give God the credit for it. Like, I always find this so frustrating too. Like I see these on Facebook. It's like, I just want to thank God for this, this, and this. Like like the food and stuff? Yeah. Like, the I mean, food is what gets me. Yeah. Oh, you ha don't you have a blog post about that too, about the poison berries? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And the burritos and stuff. Yeah, yeah. The next one is one of my favorites too, but what's that one? Yeah. The next one is adoration, which is telling God how great he is. <laughs> Just stoke, stoking his ego. Yeah. Like who needs that? Like <laughs> nobody. <laughs> but what did you say in the other episode? Like make sure God knows he's the fucking greatest. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's like Muhammad Ali. Like I'm the motherfucking greatest. Like, I mean, yeah. And you better tell me like every day, you know, he needs constant reassurance. Right. 
and of course Christians would say, oh no, he doesn't need it. But because it's we love him so much, it's, it's yeah. for us. Like we should, it reminds us that we're not God and that he's so much greater and like, whatever, like, and the last one uh, of this list is, uh, is forgiveness or repentance, you know, which is another, another big part of why people pray or the types of prayers. Like we have to tell God how shitty we are and then ask him for forgiveness for the shitty things that we did, even though he was the one that made us shitty. <laughs> like, so this is another one. Like you see, like so pervasive in people's mindsets like oh i've got to ask for forgiveness for this otherwise bad stuff's going to happen if i don't ask for forgiveness like yeah and i think that the catholic church at least is based on that concept right they're constantly telling them to go to confessional and tell us all the bad stuff you did and i don't i'm not i'm not an expert on the catholic faith but i wonder if they present it as if you don't repent and confess bad things will happen to you. But of course that doesn't pan out. No, it doesn't. Like whatever's going to happen is going to happen no matter what. Like What are the uh the typical ways that Christians like to say that God answers prayer? Yeah. It's yes, no, and wait. This is great. And these are the only three possible options. There is no yeah. other option. Yeah. Oh, so you have, got, you have a good example for this. This is from your original blog post about this, but oh, yeah. about the yes, no, or wait, and how it works for everything. Yeah. So there's an example I came up with about a woman who's actively looking for a job in the publishing field. She prays and she prays, and she asks God to arrange this new position for her. So there's three possible options. Number one, the woman soon gets a job in her desired field. That's yes. God said yes. Booyah. Number two, the woman fails to find a new job in her desired field and moves on to focus on something else. God said no. Or three, the woman fails to immediately find a new job in her desired field, but she is persistent. A few years later, she finds a publishing job. God said, wait. So the problem with this is that there are no other possible outcomes than those three scenarios, right? So the person right. praying will always be affirmed that God answered their prayer, right? even if God doesn't exist. Yeah, no matter what the outcome is, you don't even have to have a deity. So this leads us to our next point that in this scenario or in any scenario, God could be a milk jug. Yes, because milk jugs don't actually do anything and neither does God. <laughs> right. So we're going to role play. This is going to be the, the inaugural episode of Flawed Theology Theater. I really toyed with the idea of going into a, a bad British accent here, to, but you know, I don't think I'll do that. But um, we're going to reenact a conversation where Susie is going to try to convince me that she's in, in contact, in relationship with an omniscient, omnipotent jug of milk. <laughs> Just saying that is so ridiculous. It's so funny. All right. So here we go. Hey, Phil. Yeah? I have a jug of milk in the fridge that answers my prayers. What? That is crazy. What are you talking about? I, I swear, whenever I pray to it, it answers me. Just last week, I prayed to it to get this job I wanted. Did you get the job? Well, no. The milk jug answered no. Oh. That job was not in its holy divine plan. You didn't get what you asked for. Why do you think the milk jug was even involved? Oh, because sometimes it does grant me what I want. 
Like the other day, I lost my car keys and I prayed to the holy jug of milk and then later that day I found them. Oh, that's cool. But wait, don't we just sometimes like lose things and then usually we find them again? It's not like finding your keys is a miracle or anything. Like, how do you know that the milk jug did that? Oh, you just have to have faith. The milk jug is so powerful. This milk jug can do anything? Yes. And it cares about us. Yes, that's the greatest part of it. So it found your car keys, mm -hmm. but it didn't do anything to help the 800,000 people murdered in Rwanda in 1994 uh, or prevent all those deaths wait. from COVID or the oh. ongoing war in Ukraine. Uh, okay, I see where the confusion is coming in. See, the milk jug allows evil so that we can have free will. And scene. Okay. <laughs> I mean, when you put that in that context, it really highlights like how foolish the idea is. Like uh -huh. you could put God in there. You could put a milk jug in there. You could put a pair of jeans, a pair of jeans or a yo-yo or, you know, a, <laughs> a, 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 My a, cat. Cup, a cup of coffee. Like it doesn't matter what you put in that story. It's silly. What I want to ask a Christian is how does it make you feel knowing that the God that you pray to can't outperform a jug of milk. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. And they would say, no, no, God can do anything. But what is God actually doing? Like, what has he done in our recordable history, not the Bible, that is more impressive than anything a milk jug could do, right. which is, of course, anything that happens according to like natural probability, yeah, natural yeah. processes, it's nothing. Yeah, there's literally nothing like... I wonder what Christians would say to that. Like, they'd be like, oh no, God did all these things. Like, but how do you know? Like, there's no way to say that he did do those things. Like the same person could say, well, the milk jug did it. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. there's no proof or evidence that the milk jug did it. So like. So I also went on Reddit because I love to read the things that people say about Christianity. Oh, yes. Um, because people have really good, insightful thoughts, yeah. sometimes not so good, insightful thoughts. And this is one Christian response to the milk jug analogy. If your prayers get answered, yes, after praying to a milk jug, then it must be Satan you're praying to, since only God and Satan can answer prayers. And if you're not praying to God, then you're praying to Satan. So, Which brings up a whole lot of questions, which we won't get into. Since when can Satan answer prayers? I didn't know that. Like, Well, apparently Satan has power. But so they're saying if you're not praying to God and you're praying to anything else and your prayers get answered, that means you're praying to Satan if you're not praying to God. So anything and they can't admit that, well, if you got what you wanted and you prayed to Satan, it was natural probability because then that would open the door right. to, oh, maybe I got what I wanted by praying to God from natural probability. Right. But yeah, that also makes me think, well, if Satan is saying yes to prayers that God's not answering, then who's the better God here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like. All right. Yeah. And you, you alluded to this next point. We're talking about like natural phenomenon and then mm -hmm. miracles. So like miracles is one of those things that people use as the, as the impetus for like prayer, like, well, something miraculous happened. That's why we pray. So let's go back to our good old friend, the Oxford dictionary. Yeah. Don't let us down Oxford. What's the definition of a miracle? A surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. 
That's a pretty good definition. Like it is. It's actually a good definition. Yeah. I like how it says surprising and welcome because yeah. um, a miracle is always a positive event. Like, you know, there's yeah. never like a bad miracle, like, oh, look, like that. Like it's not a miracle when lightning hits the tree and it falls down and kills somebody. That's not a miracle. It's only a miracle. Unless it's somebody who you wanted to die. <laughs> Yeah, but it is a miracle if the lightning hits the tree and the tree falls right next to the person and then they're spared. That's a miracle. Like, so it can only be positive. So, so what actually would constitute a miracle as opposed to just an unlikely event? So, like, what would, what are some things that you and I would consider a miracle? Yeah, for me, it would be like something like someone whose arm was cut off, it grows back, like right in front of a face, not like, oh, over time, this person now has their arm back and there's no proof like in between, you know, where they try to do like in those faith healers, like, oh, this guy hasn't walked for 14 (laughs) years, which you have no idea that that's true because they just put that fool in a freaking wheelchair like right before. Yeah, I'm blind or this person's never heard music before and now they can hear the pipe organ. No, you cut off the arm and it grows back. Like as fast as the um, gun store owner guy's head grew back in Men in Black? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's something that would be a miracle for me. A person with a documented genetic disease suddenly no longer has that disease. So the person's DNA changes. So they were DNA, DNA tested, had something like Huntington's disease. And then later they were tested and did not have the disease right. anymore. Yeah. And it's not something like a chimera where there's two separate sets of DNA in the same organism. This is something that science can't explain. Right. Or like a corpse coming back to life, not like they died in a car accident and then they came back to life on the table after being mm-hmm. resuscitated. You know, we're talking about somebody who's like been in the grave yeah, for like a, a while and then they just were like dug themselves out. We're like, aha, I'm here. I'm alive. <laughs> yeah. Like a month later, because you do hear right. about those cases where people think that they're dead and then in the morgue they wake up. Right. And that's not a miracle. That's just they weren't dead. Right. That's a big oops by the coroner. Yeah. Someone's going to lose their job on that one. All right. What's another one? Coronavirus suddenly going away like overnight. Yeah. There was a funny tweet that I saw. The Pope asked God to stop COVID on March 18th, 2020. And it's right next to a graph of COVID incidents. And on March 18th, the case is like skyrocketed. Yeah. I'm looking at the graph right now. That's hilarious. Like, I know. Well, I guess we all know. See, my my parents are right. Those Catholics, they're not really Christians. That's why God didn't answer the Pope's prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's true. And I think this one is one that we've talked before, like, you know, God granting a, a clear sign of his existence. You know, someone who's asking for affirmation of their faith, like not like some nebulous thing. Yeah. Like I prayed to God. And I saw a rainbow. That's exactly what I was going to say. And I saw a rainbow, which is a story that I forgot to tell in the sovereignty episode. Like when I was going through my divorce, I was like going through a divorce and then I was like really feeling down. I was like trying to trust God. And then I went out somewhere, you know, of course, right after a rainstorm and the sun came out and then I saw a rainbow and I was like, oh, that's a clear sign. That's a miracle. No, that's fucking science. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's refraction of light. <laughs> Have you right where God comes down and right? I exist in fire yeah. on your wall. Like, <laughs> I mean, I've said this before, the last ditch effort right before giving it all up, it was a Hail Mary. I stood in my bedroom and I had all my Bibles and stuff on my bed. And I was like, okay, God, I'm about to get rid of these. If you are real, give me a sign right now. Something yeah. clear. Nothing. Crickets. Crickets. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, those those are miracles. So there's a definite difference between like the impossible and the improbable. I think we talked about this a little bit before, like statistical probabilities and stuff right, like that. Yeah. Like, there's a difference between something being miraculous and just it being amazing. There's things that happen that are really improbable and they're they're fucking awesome. Like, but that doesn't mean that they're miraculous, you know, and there's numbers that basically mm-hmm. you gave an example in the sovereignty episode about that, like the lady who's prayed about 9-11. And if you took dreamed that to 9/11. numbers or dreamed about 9-11, yeah, if you put that into numbers, yeah, it's unlikely, but it's not impossible like <laughs> that she dreamed about it. Yeah. Like, look at people that are supposedly healed from diseases or like they go into remission and the the disease simply seems to disappear. That's something that someone would call a miracle, but it happens frequently it enough yeah. in certain diseases that there's statistical probability. It's it's unlikely, but it does happen. Like, so you can't really call that a miracle because a miracle is something that would only happen once. It's like unique. Like mm-hmm. right. The miracles that supposedly take place at faith healing services. Those have been proven to be frauds. They have people yeah. who are acting. They have other people who aren't acting, but it's the power of suggestion or, you know, right. nobody ever, like you said, grows back a limb or gets their genetic disease cured. It's all things that you can't quantify or measure. Right. Like blindness or hearing. It's something that only the person can perceive and it's more of a subjective, right. internal, experiential thing. Right. Where there's a YouTube video, I forget the guy. What's Probably his name? Holy Darren Br- Darren Brown. Oh, okay. Where he does that thing where he recreates a bunch of miracles, mm. you know, and he says, look, yeah. I can recreate these miracles. Yeah, I think it's called, I think it's called miracles or whatever, but it's pretty interesting where he basically uses the power of suggestion and how you can basically convince the mind that something miracle, miraculous happened. And he's like, oh, I just, I just did that to you. <laughs> also, Holy Kool-Aid on YouTube has a really good series on faith healing and debunking the tactics that they use and the actual faith healers themselves. All right. So our last topic of discussion is like, does prayer work? This has come out of like a subjective question because the what? word work. Yeah, like what does work mean? Yeah, like the word work kind of has multiple definitions. Like, but I think you reference an interesting study, you know, yeah. that talks about kind of like the perceived benefits that a believer gets from praying. Like, so in that sense, there's something that works when someone prays. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about some of the perceived benefits that people get from praying. Okay, so this study is called Prayer and Healing, a Medical and Scientific Perspective on Randomized Controlled Trials. It's basically a meta-analysis of a whole bunch of different studies that looked into seeing if prayer led to better health outcomes. Mm -hmm. So you probably know this, but a meta-analysis study, it doesn't do any research on its own. Like It's not conducting a trial. It's looking at a group of studies that did look at all of the same questions, tried to answer the same questions, and it's analyzing the results of those studies and the methods and coming to a meta-conclusion. Right. So this is what that did. One of the things in the study that it mentions is that there are real benefits to praying, but it's the same benefits that you would get from meditation. Mm -hmm. So it's shifting the burden from the person praying to some external force, 
Right. Like if you have worry or anxiety, you just you let it go when you pray. This is the same thing that you might do when you meditate. Right. You're giving something, you're giving control to an outside force. You're letting go of an anxiety. Like it's all some of the same techniques that you that are for insomnia. Like, (laughs) yeah, I used to struggle with insomnia, like middle insomnia. So I fall asleep quickly. I wake up at three o'clock in the morning. I couldn't go back to sleep. So I looked up like, what am I supposed to do? And one of the things it said was, oh, well, like externalize your worries, like write them down or put them in a notebook and assign a time for when you can worry about them. And then, oh, and that work? worked like, really? I, oh, it absolutely worked. I, I had a little notebook next to my bed and I used to wake up and I would write the worry down. And I would say, okay, I'm going to think about this tomorrow at 10 o'clock. And as soon as I like gave the control of the worry to the, like, and I gave it a time delineated thing, I didn't think about it. Wow. Not, not the first time that I did it. It kind of yeah, took, took some practice, practice yeah. I guess. Yeah. It was the same thing, like giving external control as opposed to internal control. It helped well, there you go. me with insomnia. Like, so yeah. See, you don't need God. You just need a notebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Much cheaper. So the actual physical changes that happen because of praying or meditation is reduction in blood pressure, heart rate. It alters levels of melatonin and serotonin. And there's other actual physical changes that the study describes. But that to me is clear evidence that something is happening within people when they pray. That's more of a placebo effect. I'm not sure if placebo is the right word. Right. It's it's basically you are demonstrating through meditating or through prayer that you are actually the one that's controlling the situation, not God. Yeah. It's not the object of your prayer that's leading to the peace or the blood pressure. It's the same thing with meditation. It's not because of what you're meditating on. It's the act of meditation. Like they've done some brain scans, I think too, of like watching brain activity while people do certain types of yoga and like, you know, things of certain types of exercises and like the brain changes that actually happen, you know, and they're all physical, they're all physical changes. Like, and so here's what could cause those true improvements. So the study is looking at health outcomes for patients in a hospital. So when the patient prays and appears to get better, it could be because of spontaneous remission that happens coincidentally along with prayer or psychosocial support related to prayer that may arise in group prayer settings. So this would be like group therapy. Right. Well, and there's a lot of evidence. Like, I mean, you hear people talk about like fighting cancer and they talk about the mental outlook of the person the patient makes a huge impact yeah. on how that patient does. It not it doesn't always lead to healing or remission or whatever, but it it always almost always affects the quality of life for that person while they're battling the cancer. Like yeah. So essentially, to sum it up, the study is saying that if the patient prays and seems to get better, that's considered a true improvement. And there are some reasons for those true improvements. Okay. But the, and, but they're not basically saying that it's the prayer. They're not saying that the causes, prayer caused it. Exactly. They just have, and that's one of those things that like a Christian would say, well, if they can't say what's causing it, then why couldn't it be prayer? <laughs> you know? So that's what they're yeah. saying. Like, why couldn't it be God? Well, because there's no evidence that there's a God involved at all. I mean, there's documentation that spontaneous remission happens. You don't ever get any results from prayer that you can't get from a milk jug. There's just no reason to think that there's a God involved at all, especially when you can get the same results from meditation and group therapy. 
Yeah. And it could be the milk jug. You could meditate or pray to the milk jug and still have the spontaneous remission. Like, so how about like what they would call not true improvements? Yeah. So not true improvements is when they think that there's an improvement or the patient reports an improvement, but there's actually not an improvement. Mm. The first one is called the Hawthorne effect. And there's a conscious or unconscious wish of the patient to please mm. and may result in the report in less symptoms than actually exist. Oh, interesting. And I always think of this as like like the person at the front of the church in a wheelchair getting healed and everybody's watching and the faith healer is like, do you feel better yet? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, I think so. Yeah. Even I think so. Though they don't feel any different. They just want to avoid the awkwardness and there's pressure on them to feel better. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I can't stand up out of this wheelchair but I don't know how to tell you that. <laughs> and the second one is called the Rosenthal effect, which is the tendency of the rater to expect symptom attenuation across time, which may result in the attachment of lower significance to symptoms. Okay. So basically, you're expecting to get better when you pray, and so you report less symptoms or you minimize your symptoms. Right. That's interesting. I know it has a uh, a name, the Rosenthal th- mm-hmm. effect. And just so you know, we're going to link to this... Um, study so you can kind of read it it's it's pretty heavy like data wise but it's pretty cool so i think the that thing also goes into a little bit about like whether divine intervention could be causing true improvements Mm -hmm. like what was their take on that like yeah well they referenced a lot of studies that claim to find that there were true improvements with prayer Mm -hmm. it's too much to summarize here so we'll link to it Yeah. Some of these study results looked a bit sketchy to me. Like one of them showed great results with prayer. However, the sample size was very small. It was like 219 women. Okay. So take them with a grain of salt. But the one study that keeps being passed around in the atheist community, if you've been, you know, hanging around in the community for a while, you've probably heard of this study. They divided patients into three groups. They either knew they were being prayed for, didn't know they were being prayed for, or weren't being prayed for, and they were all recovering from coronary artery bypass graft. Okay, yeah, I remember hearing about this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so the conclusion was that the group that they that knew they were being prayed for actually had worse outcomes. Oh, really? Yeah, so the conclusion was that intercessory prayer itself has no effect on complication-free recovery. But certainty of receiving intercessory prayer was associated with a higher incidence of complications. And the sample size for that study was 1,802. That's interesting. So like some somebody, a whole section of this group, I presume, was like kind of split evenly, you know, most of those things. So you're talking about 600 people yeah. knew that they were being prayed for and they had work, worse outcomes I wonder why that is because like, obviously the prayer doesn't do anything. The prayer is not making it worse. No. Yeah. And I would think actually that it would be the other way if people know that they're getting prayed for. And if that group also, I guess they would also have to believe that prayer works on some level that they would have that placebo effect of feeling better. Like you said earlier, feeling better, but actually the symptoms not improving or getting worse or something like that. So. I have seen a few reasons tossed around for this, that maybe the group that thought they were being prayed for didn't feel like they needed to try as hard on their own to recover, like getting up to right. walk around, exercising, eating right, whatever. Right, right. And then the other reason is that maybe they felt a lot of pressure knowing that people were praying for them and they had to get better because people were praying for them. They didn't want to let them down. It was too stressful. Right, yeah. Because what does it say if people are praying for you, you get- and you die. <laughs> you get worse. Like, that's it's not like, good. What did like, you do wrong? 
Yeah. So there's also a fun study where they tried to have people pray for patients in the past. Okay. To see if prayer would have like a retrospective positive effect through time. Okay. So they prayed for people from the 90s who were in the hospital and it was totally blind. I think you had the names of the people you were praying for. Were they still in the hospital currently or they had been? No, they either died in the hospital or were released. They had various outcomes. Okay. But the study found slightly better outcomes for people who were prayed for. And I've actually seen this on a TikTok. Some girl was like talking about the power of positive thoughts and prayer and how right. it even works going back in time. And my BS meter was like off the charts. <laughs> Right. And then I came across this study in this meta-analysis, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. So I read it, and it sounds really good until this meta-analysis, it picks apart a bunch of reasons why these results may not be valid. I'm not going to list them here, but it's a really good exercise in critical thinking and training your brain to poke holes in things and not accept everything at face value. Just because it's in a study does not mean it's true. Right, right. It could be faulty methodology or faulty analysis. So I think it's a good thing. If you're interested in this, go check it out, read it, um, look at the reasons why this meta-analysis thought that study was not valid. Yeah. And this is one of those things where it's about like developing the skill of critical thinking and learning something that's like kind of like outside the comfort zone. Maybe like most of us don't read studies and don't know anything about research methodology or like statistical probability and all that kind of stuff. So it's a really good exercise to like develop that skill for your own well-being and it can be useful for picking apart things or or critically thinking about things in all aspects of life not just religion yeah so we talked about this a little bit at the outset of this section but like the idea of the of the word if prayer works quote unquote is different depending on if you are a christian and believe in prayer or if you're a non-christian and you're like looking for actual evidence. Yeah. So like if you ask a Christian if prayer works, they will categorically say that God always answers prayer, even if it's not the answer that they want. They don't even care if there's a de demonstrable answer to the prayer. They will still say that prayer works. Yeah. They have to say prayer works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like if they ask God someone to heal someone and then they die, they just say, oh, well, God answered no and he had a better plan, you know, or there was a reason like yada, yada, you know. You know what my sister said to me when I told her that I was no longer a Christian? She said, I think I kind of had an idea because about <laughs> six years ago, I told you once I was going to pray for you. And you said to me, that won't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even remember that. But it's funny that she picked up on that and how did I not even know I was an atheist? Right. Well, that's funny. Like you told her that six years ago. And then did she keep praying for you? Oh, or I'm sure. Did she did she just give up and be like, well. No, I'm sure she still prayed for me. I'm yeah. sure she prays for me now. Right. Well, so like you can't say that just because it's again, it's like just because a Christian believes that prayer works. If there's no evidence, then does it work? No, it doesn't. You just yeah. believe that it works. Like so then the. The non-believer would say that prayer doesn't work because there's no way to measure or demonstrate that a prayer has been answered or that prayer was the factor that yielded the result that was prayed for. Just like that study was talking about, like there's coincidences. Right. And you might have just happened to pray for something right before it happened. Yeah. There could be other reasons why a prayer appears to work. It's kind of like that narcissistic mentality where you think things are happening to me. Because I'm like the focus here. Right. So like if something 
not even improbable, but if something good happens to you, it's because there's a divine entity that wanted that good thing to happen to you instead of just good things are happening to people randomly in a random pattern. Right. People don't like randomness, I don't think. No. Like if you're praying really desperately for a parking space at Target and then you get one, that's because someone left the parking space. (laughs) They were going to leave that parking space anyway because they were done fucking shopping. Yeah. Every hour or so, somebody leaves a parking space and at some point, it's going to be one of the front ones. Yeah, it's like, no, no, but there was no parking spaces in sight and I was just so stressed and I really had to use the bathroom when I got into Target and God opened up one right in the front. It's like, yeah, no, no, he didn't. (laughs) Well, you know, good things keep happening to me, even though I don't ask for them. So I, I really wonder, like, how do these people who think that you have to ask for good things and God gives you good things, right? if God is in charge of everything and only God can give good things, how am I getting so many good things that I'm not (laughs) asking for and I don't deserve because I don't even believe in him. And even when I did quote unquote, believe in him, I never gave him the time of day. (laughs) Right. There was one time I won a free cruise. (laughs) Carnival sent me a letter and they were like, we've selected you for a free cruise. I was like, oh, this is spam. But I called them and they were like, no, it's true. You have a free cruise. And I was like, what the hell? Who gets a free cruise? That's fantastic. Did you go on it? Of course I did. Yeah. I invited my best friend. We had a great time. Well, see, what should have happened was that cruise should have hit an iceberg and then you should have that should have been sinking and you should have cried out to God and then he would have saved you on a raft with with Jack and you would have been like, I'll never let go. (laughs) And then they would have made a movie about it and you could have just praised God for it. That's a really convoluted way to get me to praise God. Correct. Correct. But that's how God works. That's mysterious ways. I mean, that's (laughs) what happens. All right. So to wrap up this topic, topic, if prayer doesn't yield results, What should we do instead? What's a better option? Mm, Nothing. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I I, I don't do anything. What do you mean? I think it's the opposite of nothing, actually. Like, so. No, no, I don't understand the question. I'm sorry. Rephrase it. All right. Let me rephrase. (laughs) So the point of this episode is not to knock the idea of prayer per se. Like, our goal is like to point out the flawed thinking associated with with prayer. And then, but if you're going to point out the flaw in something, I feel like potentially you need to offer people, well, if you're not going to pray for stuff, what, what can you do instead? And I wish I would have worn my shirt, but like, we both have those shirts that say action over prayer. And so like, that's my response of like, what we should do instead of praying is we should do shit. Okay. And I have, I kind of made a little list. I get it now. This is a, a closing monologue. Don't pray to end world hunger. Donate your time and money to organizations that address food insecurity like stop hunger now or the world food program don't pray for kids to stop being shot in school yeah just yesterday there was a school shooting at a christian school Mm -hmm. so by the time you're listening to this it will be weeks and weeks later but this was just yesterday for us at a christian school christian school god does not care he is not going to listen to your thoughts and prayers yeah where's the hedge of protection around the christian school like there is none so don't don't pray for kids to stop getting shot in school donate your time and money mm-hmm. and research to organizations that are working to end gun violence and make our schools safe don't pray for the war in ukraine or the people over there donate money or to funds like united 24 or unicef there's tons of aid organizations that are helping the people in ukraine you can pray for them all you want doesn't do shit. Yeah. And it just makes you feel like you've done something so that you don't actually have to do anything else right. and less actually gets done. 
in the end. Right. That's one of those perceived benefits that makes you feel like you're doing something, but you're actually not doing anything. You're just saying thoughts and prayers. Like, don't pray for human trafficking to end. Educate yourself about the root causes of human trafficking and support organizations like Love 146 that are experts in the field of human trafficking prevention and education. And we're going to, good list. I'm going to link to all these in the notes too, like, because I think one of the things that people say about atheists or like non-religious people like, oh, they're just angry about everything. They don't have any solutions. Like, so we're going to try to link to all these things. So like, these are things you can actually do if you are so inclined. What is that quote? Who said that? That if you want to get something done, ask an atheist. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, if you need help with something, ask an atheist because they're not going to wait for God to do it. They're going to be. That's exactly the one I'm thinking of. Who said that? I don't know. It's Okay. Somebody said it. You know, and the other thing you can do is like if you're looking for the, some of those mental benefits of prayer, like we talked about earlier from the study, well, start meditating, do yoga, practice mindfulness. There's tons of studies, like we said, that show that those practices have the same brain impacts and body response that prayer yeah. does. And you don't have to live in like a fantasy world where you're giving control of your life to someone, some invisible sky daddy. It's your brain <laughs> that's doing it. As you meditate, like it's you. This is a good answer. Yeah. Now I feel bad for saying nothing, but I think I said (laughs) nothing because I never prayed. And so I feel like, why do I need something to replace prayer with? Right, right. When I never had it to begin with. Like I've always done these things. I, I don't meditate, but I don't know. I have quiet time. I read. I'm dedicated to a lot of different causes and even more now that I've left Christianity. Well, yeah, like like one of your causes is environmentalism, you yeah. know, environmental causes. That's, like, yes. don't just say, "Oh, it's shitty that the the world is gonna end it because of climate change." Go do something about it. You are in control, and I think we've closed a lot of episodes like this, saying, "Like, you are the one that has the power to do things. You don't need prayer. You don't need God. You need no. yourself, and you need to have a bit of self. I don't know, self confidence in like your actual ability to affect change in the world around you, and also. If you're still like hanging on to belief and you're still maybe praying or you're afraid that if you stop praying, something bad will happen to you. Don't be scared of that. Look at me. Right. I've maybe said three prayers in my life and once was to find my purse. (laughs) Nothing bad has ever happened to me as a result of not praying. And if something bad does happen to you, it would have happened to you anyway, even if you were praying. So don't be afraid to break that invisible tether to an invisible deity. Yeah. That I imagine like two cups with a string between them, <laughs> cut that line, Yeah. free yourself from it, and go do something. Go do something. <laughs> go do something. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. Tune in next time where we will continue to tackle the question. If your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Make sure to join us on our Facebook group called Dangerous Questions. We have a lot of fun conversations there. It's a great way for us to connect with you. Um, You can post questions. You can post articles, things that are relevant to your own journey. And we will interact with you there. So find us there on Dangerous Questions on Facebook. Follow us on the other social media sites, and then please rate and review us on Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we will catch you next time. See you next time.
Yeah, and I think I heard uh, it might have been Carl Sagan. Hmm. You okay? I just drank some liquid and it went down my windpipe. So yeah, <laughs> that's a fun time. That'd be kind of funny. It, it might give me a new appreciation for these books. Maybe I'd, I've got like 30 of these books around the house, so maybe I need to read them. <laughs> there's not 30 Dogman books. Oh, there's a ton of them. There's some Cat Kid and the... Yo, Cat Kid, ones, we got all those. Dogman. And the Diary of the Wimpy Kid. And I think yeah. there's a new Dogman coming out because my kid... There is. I think it comes out tomorrow, actually, because... Uh, or well, today. I think we just got it today. Yeah. Dogman should pay us right now for advertising. Yeah. We're really, really plugging Dogman here. So if you have a 10-year-old, get him some Dogman books. Get some Dogman. Man.